If you're new to Believer's Church and you're wondering why there's all these people on stage and who works here and things like that, I'm one of the pastors, John, who just talked as one of the pastors, and then Joe, who came up with the beautiful head, shining head. I love Joe. As uh, one of our elders. You know, I don't try to publicly shame people usually, but this is just kind of happening. Um, but we, we try to make room for as much as possible as a group, a group this large, for as many people to get a play as possible because God is speaking to all of us and He's working through all of us. So it's really, really significant that we take time for that. Um, it's very interesting to me what happened in the worship music moment today. Because I noticed where we started to gain momentum was when there was enough space for the for us to gain our voice. Does that make sense? For uh, enough space for us to gain our voice. I I feel like that was really intentional from the Holy Spirit to demonstrate something to us. Um, and I just felt just the Lord just delighted with us. Just delighted. I started singing, God, your people love you. Your people love you. Can you see this? Your people love you. And I just feel the skip in his heart that that we even pay attention to him. If you're a parent, you, you can relate to what Joe said, right? This is a point at which your kids just to give you attention. Well, you, you, you'll do about anything, right? Um, and that's just a dim reflection of what our father's like and his affection for us. So... Um, so anyway, I'm going to give a message we're, we're, we've been talking for several weeks about this idea of where are we going as a church to, to make that clear, that doesn't mean we as leaders actually know where we're going. I mean that really seriously because what I've learned, I've been a pastor for 17 years now. And I've learned long enough that if you really pay attention to Jesus, he will resist your best laid plans. Because he really is wanting to lead his church. And so if we get risky enough to, to consciously and repeatedly ask him, what are you doing? I find he doesn't tell us that much. Have you noticed that in your own life? Like, I've become suspect of people who have a grand plan for their lives because I'm like, man, I don't know, maybe it's just me, but I've never had that grand plan. I've never, I'm, I'm still wondering what I'm going to do when I grow up. But I've kind of gotten distracted by Jesus so that I just want to know what he does, says next. I had a really mature moment a couple of days ago where I was listening to a podcast. I, I'm a musician, used to do that for a living, and I was listening to these producers and I started to have this kind of existential crisis of did I invest like I should have in that in my life and here's my moment of maturity I said wait Lord I'm not going to have an existential crisis today I'm going to trust you have me where you want me and you'll get me where you want me to go and it went on with my day <laughs> I'm not famous powerful or rich none of those things are happening but apparently I'm exactly where Jesus wants me 
because he's capable of getting me where he wants me, when he wants me. Through my failure, through my mistakes, he is capable. I feel like the Lord's inviting us to a vulnerability this morning to be loved. Um, I'll talk a little more about that when we close. So when we say, where are we going? Here's the sense of what we, what we do know it feels like Jesus has said to us. Does that make sense? So, so the image I want you to imagine, because we're going to be done with this in a couple weeks, is when we land at this, we don't have this well-built thing that now you can sign up and be part of at all. Imagine you're being invited to a job site where there's a few things like there's a little bit of framing on the house, but there's just a lot of tools laying around and the invitation is to tools. You want to pick that one up? Pick, cause here's what I found. I think if we really let Jesus lead his church, he won't let a small group of people build anything for everybody else. He just won't let it happen because it's not the way he made his body. He made us for everybody to play. So, so we can fake like we know what we're doing next. But then we'll just get exhausted and tired, and you will too, and have to go back to where we last heard something from the Lord. As I get, he never talked about any of that. Okay, so where are we going? Here's what we know: we, we've we know that our vision, where we're going, is to be near and like Jesus. That Jesus embodies everything we need to. That the, the essentials of what we need to know about God and about ourselves. And really, there's not too many other questions we need to answer in our lives. Because what do we mean and what does he mean? And so if we make our life goal to be near and like Jesus, that is so durable. Because it doesn't matter what job you have, how what your health's like, how smart you are, you know, whether other people have given you a position or not, it, it's irrelevant. It's it's something that is stable through any circumstance. And so the question when you say, how do we get there? We say the mission is, well, then we're going to be disciples of Jesus. A disciple is a learner, an imitator, a student. I, if you ever think about, I, I want a role model in my life. I want to become like somebody. Jesus, when we say we're going to be a disciple, it's like Jesus is my role model. Jesus is my hero. Jesus is my success story. And I, what, if I want to live a life that looks like somebody who's succeeding at life, it's Jesus. But not only that, to be to be a disciple who makes disciples. It's the very thing Jesus said, okay, here's what it looks like to be my disciple. Matthew 28 says, go make more. And you can. Everybody gets to play. Everybody has to play. So, for the last few weeks, we've been talking about what does a disciple of Jesus look like? How did Jesus make disciples? Today, we're going to talk about who. So, uh, Anna spoke with us about what a disciple looks like. Short, A short, just concise version. You look at Matthew 28, 18 through 20, and Acts 2, 36 through 47. And we've got a fun little tool we use to draw pictures of what it looks like to be a disciple. It's not comprehensive of everything, but it's not vague and gassy to know what it is to be a disciple. It, that these are some of the things that Jesus, the lifestyle, the identity, and then the doing that Jesus did that we can imitate. We call it our discipleship map. You go to JesusIsTheVision.com. You'll see this. It's an interactive tool that we actually use for discipleship. How did Jesus make disciples? We talked about this last week. And we talked about that Jesus did three different things. He, he did classroom, which we, is content, passing on content. We're all used to that. 
But then Jesus also did this apprenticeship thing where he would do and people, his disciples would imitate and then he'd feed back. So this modeling kind of deal. And then immersion where Jesus would just invite people into his life and they'd have to just kind of pick up the accent. You know what I mean? It's like it's 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 like a, a great way to learn a language is to be just to go to that country and not really know what's going on and start to learn what it sounds like to speak that language. And so Jesus did all three of those things. So if you want to see any of those things in a more uh, comprehensive fashion, look back to our podcasts or videos. So today I'm going to talk about who did Jesus disciple? Why is that important? Because to be disciples of Jesus who make disciples of Jesus, we have to do the stuff like Jesus did it. Does it make sense? I, I know I say that phrase and it's not very helpful. It's just what I say to feedback to me that you understand what's happening, please. <laughs> sort of. Um, it's just this idea that if we're gonna, if we, we want the outcomes that Jesus has, we have, uh, gets, we want to do it the way Jesus did it. We, we said it earlier in the year, if we want the life of Jesus, we have to live the lifestyle of Jesus. So that's what we're gonna look at for just a few minutes. Of who did Jesus disciple? So, Jesus, we want to be your disciples. Will you take us into this and teach us what you want us to hear? So, you can see Jesus, Jesus interacted with a lot of people, but Jesus seemed to have a strategy for the groups that he interacted with. So, we, if you imagine Jesus as the this circle and there's these concentric relationships, of people, we see that Jesus interacted with crowds of people, right? See, uh, uh, one of my favorite verses about that, Matthew nine thirty six, where it says Jesus looked in the crowds and saw they're like sheep without a shepherd, and he had compassion on them, so he'd go after them. But then we see in First Corinthians fifteen six, Paul says there's about five hundred people who actually saw Jesus when he was raised from the dead. So he must have had some kind of unique relationship with at least 500 people for them to see him physically raised from the dead. In Acts 115, we see, you know, of those, I guess 500, I don't know, there, there were maybe 120 in that upper room when Jesus had said, hey guys, wait for the Holy Spirit. It's going to come on you. You'll be my witnesses. We see in Acts 115, there's about 120 people that were part of that. But then we see there's an even little smaller circle in Luke chapter 10, the very first verse. Jesus sent out 72 people to proclaim the kingdom. But then as we go a little further in, we know about the 12, right? We, we looked at it last week in Mark 3 that Jesus, of it's, it's interesting that there was language that Jesus had disciples beyond that 12. But he said in Mark 3, of that 12, he called 12 to be with him. Interesting. He called 12 to be with him. And then even within that 12, he had three. So it was interesting. So you, so you only had three, three of his guys that he went up, you know, pulled over to the Mount of Transfiguration, right? Peter, James, and John. And, and then Peter, James, and John were the guys he pulled along with him in the Garden of Gethsemane to pray with him. And, and, and John, interesting, amazingly, when Jesus is literally dying on a cross, John says to uh, Jesus says to John, I need you to take care of my mom. So interesting that Jesus had different groups of people. And it's important to notice this because it appears that Jesus had an investment strategy. He actually spent different amounts of time with different people. And so that, that what you see with the red there, that's like where the most, the highest 
degree of time Jesus spent. He actually spent the most amount of time with the three, then the twelve, and then it kind of went out further to the crowds. Really interesting. Important to notice. In fact, one of the things you'll notice if you look, just look up the word disciple um, in the Gospels. Really, for there are times when it's the disciple describes people larger than the group of twelve, but very infrequently compared to the twelve being the disciples. So, all right, why would Jesus have an investment strategy? Why wasn't Jesus equally spending time with all these people? Well, if this is who he's going after, if this is what it looks like to be a disciple, and this is the way discipleship is done, he literally didn't have time. Think about that for a second. He had, he had three years to, to go to, to live a life in front of people that, that would imitate him and do the stuff he does, he had to be with just a few. So so one of the first answers to who did Jesus disciple, it was simply a small group of people. Simple as that sounds, but it's really profound. That Jesus really, when he talks about be my disciples, for the most part was focused on 12 people or less. Okay, so... But that's not the only thing to notice about who Jesus discipled. Because it wasn't just that he just had any group of any small group of people. So I want to I'm going to summarize John chapter six. I'm just going to take verses out of it and talk you through it. The reason is because this passage is 69 verses long. We could read it, but that might be a bit much. Um, so Jesus, I'll, I'll read stuff and comment as we go. And you, you, I've got the verses on there if you think I'm lying. Um, and you can follow along in John 6 and say, you missed something, you know, so. Um, so sometime after this, when Jesus had been addressing people, he crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, that's the Sea of Tiberias, and a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the signs he'd performed by healing the sick. And Jesus went up on a mountainside sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover festival was near. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, which incidentally, crowds and disciples are always clearly distinguished from one another in the Gospels. They're never the same thing. Okay, that's just one example of it. So when he saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he's going to do. And of course, the disciples are confused. All we've got in this is a couple of fish and five loaves. So Jesus then took the five loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. Now, after the, it, that this was crazy, amazing, it says, after the people saw the sign Jesus performed, they began to say, surely this is the prophet who's come into the world. This is the guy. This is the Messiah. This is, this is the guy we've been looking for. Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. Jesus, who had all the wrong instincts with his marketing team. His follower, he had so many, will you follow me, come in, invites, and he just took off. 
So when evening came, his disciples went down to the lake where they got into a boat and set off across the lake for Capernaum. Now, Jesus didn't go with them. He went to pray. He caught up with them by walking on the lake. So, you know, a little something he had up his sleeve. Uh, so now the, the next day, once the crowd realized that, that they're coming to the place where Jesus and his disciples were, the crowd realized that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there. They got into the boats and went to Capernaum in search of Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? And Jesus responded, very truly, I tell you, you are looking for me, not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. So here's Jesus. The crowd's coming. He's like, oh, man, so sweet for you to come. You're just hungry. You want a free meal. And so then Jesus kind of pushes into this moment. He says, uh, listen, I'm actually the bread of life. He equated, they, they started talking about, you know, it was a Jewish crowd, so they're talking about Moses uh, back in the desert where manna would come and feed the people of Israel. And Jesus said, yeah, well, there's bread that I could give you that you never be hungry again. They're like, give it to us. He said, I'm the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. And whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. And that kind of makes them feel weird. The, Jew, the, the Jewish crowd's going like, you're the bread that came from heaven. And Jesus is like, yeah, I am. And then they start getting offended. They're like, well, how can we eat you, Jesus? And Jesus, you know, you got to understand the level of work that goes into a good sermon to hopefully be understandable. That's why I say, does this make sense all the time? Here's what Jesus does. Instead of clarifying the metaphor, he drives deeper. He said, oh yeah, that you feel weird about that? Well, truly I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink His blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life and I will raise them up at the last day. And he drops the mic. He does not explain himself. And here's, here's what happens. On hearing it, many of his disciples, many of his disciples, now this is kind of that outside of the 12, many of his disciples said, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? Now, you know, scholars are undecided as to how much did they actually understand? Did they know, of course, it's a metaphor. He's not saying cannibalism, but... Jesus is not explaining himself. He's not doing it. And it said a few verses later, from this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. Just left. I love Jesus because he's human. And so he says to the twelve, you guys don't want to leave too, do you? Jesus knows what it feels like to be rejected <laughs> when he's doing the right thing. <laughs> you don't want to leave too, do you? Jesus asks the twelve. And Simon Peter answers for everybody, Lord, to whom shall we go? 
You have the words of eternal life. We've come to believe and know you're the Holy One of God. So what's really, really important to see here is that we know that Jesus, he, He does this beautiful thing the day before where He He feeds this crowd of people miraculously. Just miraculously feeds them. I, I, you know, we're just attracted to food, aren't we? You know how many times we've done our, our picnic in the park at La Fortune Park? And we seem to gather a lot of people that don't go to Believer's Church to my knowledge. It's just people, this happens every time. There's all these people in line. They literally enter a park and like, sweet. I, I'm, <laughs> doesn't happen every time. We're like, do you know that guy? No, I don't know that guy. I don't know that guy either. Do you? I think this is their first time with us. <laughs> it's like, okay, well, have fun. So Jesus, Jesus is beautiful at offering this invitation. Come and see. Come and see. See what's happening. He heals, heals the sick, has compassion on these crowds. But then we see here, Jesus narrows this thing down to this phrase. He, he takes that from, you know, you're eating the bread and fish. You've had some nice hot dogs and burgers, but now you need to eat my flesh and drink my blood. And so, so we see not only an invitation, but a challenge, right? What? What's going on here? But if you look throughout Jesus' life, he does this a lot. We, we've got the example where there's a, it says, a disciple, a disciple said to him, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Jesus told him, follow me. And let the dead bury their own dead. What are you doing, Jesus? Now, of course, we don't know all that was going on there. But that is a challenging statement, isn't it? Jesus himself is saying, follow me. And then, but I I have a funeral to attend. It's my dad's. Okay. Let the dead bury their own dead. What? There's another time a, a young man who had a lot of wealth comes to Jesus. Jesus, what's the way to eternal life? Jesus says, hey, you know, obey the commands. Hey, man, I, I've been doing that. And in Mark's version of that, he says, Jesus looked at this guy and loved him. He's like, this, this could be one of my guys. He said, this is great. One thing you lack, go sell everything you have and then come follow me. And we know the story. The guy, the guy, the guy said no. Cause he had a lot of stuff. Jesus didn't say that, by the way, to everybody. He didn't say to everybody, sell all you have. To other people who said, drink, drink my blood and eat my body. But that Jesus had this, this big invitation, but then a high challenge. So, who did Jesus disciple? He, he discipled a small group of people. Who accepted his challenge to discipleship. See both those pieces there? Small group of people accepted his challenge to discipleship. So the question I want to ask, and I would say me because me is you. How's this work for me? 
It's a question for each of us to ask ourselves. In your journey with Jesus, in your journey with the Jesus people, small group of people who accepted Jesus' challenge to discipleship. Well, I can only speak of my experience. I think it's too much to you know make generalizations about all the church or anything like that. But here's what I have found is that um, I kind of like crowds. You know what I mean? Doesn't it seem like something's hopping and something's happening when a lot of people show up? <laughs> I'm, I felt like this morning Jesus was inviting me to more vulnerability than usual. Was like, okay. Um, and the reason is, and by the way, I'll just you know, my journey is this: Jesus wants to love me more, but my defenses against His love are my competency and acceptance by other people. So I, I, so in case He doesn't love me that much, at least I'll get a little something from others. And Jesus is trying to say, "Go ahead and just be awful at everything you do, and see how much I love you." It might, it might not may be your defense. You have different defenses than me. But it's hard to, in my job, to not receive a grade every Sunday morning by how many people walked in here. It's the weirdest thing. I was like, I'm above that. I am not above that at all. Maybe you'll know the same feeling when you invite people to your house and you're wondering if anybody's going to come. Right. Or you post something. I'm going to say it like my mother-in-law, the Facebook And that little thing is just all by itself. Ding! There's another one. I'm, I'm meaningful. <laughs> right? I got two million likes. Right? Here's been my experience in my gut with this idea of Jesus' strategy, of how he highly invested time in a few versus the crowds. My experience has been, my gut is, invest everything I have in the crowds, and maybe then we'll invite them to be disciples. And here's what I've found, at least in church life. Investing stuff in the crowds is so expensive and takes so much time, you don't have any time to make disciples. I mean, that's literally what I've experienced in 17 years of doing this. Because there's always somebody better than you. Always. There's always somebody more talented than you. There's, right? There, there, there's, there's, it's just, it's just a thing that if our relationship is crowd to performer, it takes a lot of time and energy. Anybody, anybody relate to what I'm talking about? How's has your experience been who accepted Jesus' challenge to discipleship? So, for instance, Jesus has this huge high invitation, right? I don't know where the food came from, but we all showed up and all of us got to eat. Or Jesus is healing people. He's just, this crazy stuff's happening. It's so cool. But then Jesus issues this challenge to, so I put that image there because it seems to be the balance of invitation and challenge in Jesus' life. 
Yeah, okay, here we go. Now, if you have nothing but challenge and no invitation, that's just not... It's, it's, you, you can build a cult pretty well that way, right? Or at least a click. You know what I'm saying? Um, but my experience has been the expectation and the work of all invitation, but no challenge. <laughs> right? I, 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 I just, I just need this place to be so inviting, but when the challenge comes, it gets kind of weird. Now, here's the deal. I have friends who served in church and ministries and have said, I just want to come to a place where I can just be. And, and I understand what they mean by that. What the, the interpretation of that is this. A lot of times we think the challenge to discipleship is, is like volunteerism for the church activities. But it's weird that I have not found in the Gospels any volunteer invitations. You know what I'm saying? I, the, the, our methodology, we can be so self-sustaining and focused on it that we assume our activities are discipleship. Does it make sense? That's why we're trying to define what it means to be a disciple. Um, guys, if we have all invitation, no challenge, what we are left with is consumerism. So when I say challenge, what, I, what, I, what I'm not meaning is you need to volunteer more. That If Jesus is inviting you into that, then that's your obedience to him, and you better do it. What I'm inviting you, what I'm saying is, what is the challenge to discipleship Jesus is issuing you? And will you do that no matter how unsavory, painful, or boring it is? Some of us are more scared of boredom than pain. I'm serious. Just hide your phone for a week. See how you do. Just a day. Guys, consumerism will kill us. It will kill us. It, it really will kill us. Like language that we have that's like, that was good worship. That's really weird. If you think about it, that's a really weird phrase. Worship is not a consumable item. By definition, it's something we give to one we think is greater than us. So it's not if is it good worship or not, is did you worship or not? That's why I felt like the Lord was so pleased with y'all today. I felt the Lord just leaping. I love Sam's leadership because he grew up in house church, so he doesn't care if there's like one string playing. He's okay to just stop. He's like, I'm in more awkward spaces than this one, you know. <laughs> and see what Holy Spirit wants to do. And we began to worship Jesus, not as a consumable item. But because it's our chance to tell Jesus who we think he is. And he's worthy of our energy and attention, whether we feel like the worship bands got us there or not. By the way, I'm a musician and I love music. Who loved the chords 
that Sam was playing on. It, distur- it, di- it disturbed everyone here that he wasn't playing the right chords to that song. And I'm like, do more weird chords, please. This is awesome. It was so interesting. But I could feel the collective confusion of like, song sounds funny. <laughs> Which is okay, man. I love that. <laughs> I love great music. I love it. But the challenge to discipleship, the challenge to discipleship, the challenge to discipleship, if we, if, I'll just say it real simply, if we don't accept the challenge, we're actually not disciples. So, to be disciples of Jesus, make disciples of Jesus, we have to do it how Jesus did it. I have felt the pressure, whatever, it's, let's, let's have massive invitations, so exciting invitation, it's irresistible, then we'll invite everybody into discipleship and i found it doesn't work. Sorry, it just, it, it just doesn't, and I have actual evidence to show you for years. Well, just do the invitation differently. I don't know, Jesus couldn't get them coming either. Once the, when it, once the menu changed, you, you know, it's like, wait, eat your body? Drink your blood? So, this is what, this really, this is the question we're, we're, we're left with, all of us, is, is, um, mission and vision, or vision, to be near and like Jesus, which means we have to become disciples of Jesus. Did you know none of the crowds were his disciples? I mean, literally, I, I, I just look at anywhere in the Gospels, you will never find that to be the case. And in fact, you'll find disciples leaving. <laughs> it keeps on getting smaller with Jesus. Now, what I don't want you to hear is that Jesus is trying to keep people out of his kingdom. Only for the elite. It's the very opposite. Jesus loves us so much. He wants no other gods before him. Because you know other gods just treat us like crap. They demean us. They dehumanize us. So you'll find that the challenge to discipleship to Jesus is a little bit different for each of us. You saw it. Dead bury their own dead. We don't know what the story is. Like, Jesus is against funerals for parents? No. In fact, Jesus showed up at funerals. Sometimes you raise the kid from the dead, too. You know, just to have some fun. To Lazarus' funeral, raised him from the dead. Jesus is against people having money? No, absolutely not. He just knew that that guy had an idol in his life that was going to compete with imitating his master Jesus. That's why Jesus, I had a dream last night. This is my, this, I'll tell, I'm inviting you to my discipleship journey because I'm hopeful that you're hearing your own. Okay? So it's not, I'm an introvert. 
and I'm shy. And then he sticks me in front of people to tell you my stuff. It seems so weird. I had a dream last night that I had a sermon to give and I can't, couldn't remember what the topic was and I realized I hadn't done any preparation. That was my dream last night. I woke up this morning and have you noticed you're like at your most vulnerable when you're sleeping, right? <laughs> and I had that vulnerable thing and I woke up so scared. But interestingly, the day before I've been reading about Jesus' extravagant love for me and that I can trust Him no matter what. And I felt like the Lord was saying, Hey, Gail, <clears throat> you know what my invitation to discipleship is? Is you defend yourself through your competency and in a success. Would you stay vulnerable to me so that you would trust me even if you fail miserably in front of everybody? And that's my question. That's Jesus saying to me, will you, will you eat my body and drink my blood? And I'll be honest with you, I'm like, I'm not so sure I want that, Jesus. To fail publicly in front of everybody just for you to prove that you love me. What is Jesus' invitation to you to really get you? See, the funny part is, I think in many ways it has absolutely nothing to do with performance. It has to do with surrender. Think about this. Do you think, do you think Peter and James and John, who wanted to build forts for the guys on the Mount of Transfiguration, had any better idea of what Jesus was talking about? Eat my body, drink your blood. I mean, seriously. These guys are seeing the Lord of glory and it says, let's build forts for them. But Peter knew something. He's like, you know what, Jesus? You confuse me consistently. But you're the guy. And I'm going to trust you. Even though I don't understand you, I'm going to trust you. So this is the question. Cool vision. Being near and like Jesus. Seems simple. Be disciples who make disciples. Okay. What is a disciple? Somebody. And there's not usually as many people who want to do it. Who accept whatever the challenge is Jesus offers. Why? Not because Jesus is trying to prove anything. He's trying to free us into his love and our transformation into his image. We just tend to like our idols. Mine's success. Success and respect. Jesus is just crushing this stuff in me. Why? Because he doesn't want me to succeed or be successful? No, he just doesn't want me to worship that. Often I'll just say, oh, Jesus, I'll do whatever you can because you're going to give me success, right? It's toxic, man. It's so toxic. Self-destructive. Alienating. So, let's take a moment and let's ask Jesus. Don't make it up. But ask Jesus what his challenge to discipleship is for you. Know that his invitation is wide open to everybody. He is longing. 
Joe talked about. See, this is how I know Jesus is up to it. Joe Spann and I didn't talk about anything about this message prior to that. He gets up and talks about the longing of God. That's what we call, you know, a word of wisdom or knowledge or prophecy. They say, I'm longing for you. What Jesus is doing in my own life, he's saying, I'm going to challenge you through some things. Will you follow me even if I never give you any success in your own eyes? Ever. Do you trust me enough that you'll say yes and follow me there? So let's ask Jesus, what's the challenge to discipleship you're offering me? Yeah, we'll just sit in this for a minute. Go ahead and ask him. You have to make anything up. Let's stand together. The things I love about following Jesus, and, and it made me a lot more relaxed and less frenetic and caffeinated about following Jesus, is it's a daily thing day in and day out because there's not just one challenge to discipleship in case you're wondering it happens again and again and again and again again not just like prove prove you really love me it's like will you follow me but what do you mean i i need i need my thermos <laughs> that's a very old joke for people over 50 uh, it's a bad movie. Don't watch it. Or this guy's obsessed with having his thermos. You know, you just need a thermos. It's all I need is my thermos. No, you don't need it. You need me. I don't know if there are people here today that you, you, you have to start somewhere. You have to say yes somewhere. And so if you've not said yes, I'm telling you, I've got all kinds of issues. I've got mental health issues. Uh, I've got things I'm afraid of. But I've found in Jesus, I've never been alone again. Inviting you, I'm not alone in my struggles. That, that at the most existential level, I'm understood. And that there's power for me to move forward. And live productively and become actually the human I was meant to be. And so, so I'm telling you, I felt like the Lord was speaking to us today about there's just some people dealing with loneliness. Just a, almost a terrifying loneliness. And what Jesus wants to invite you into is first of all, fellowship with Him. 
This doesn't mean just go, go read your Bible and pray more. It means literally in this moment, in the things you're most scared of, the things you most feel like I'd have to let you into that, you say yes. Courageously, yes. Some of you is going to be like, what, what if you took my income away? That'd be like killing me. Oh, man. That's so small for Jesus. He's got so much money. He could give you anything at any time. The only reason he'd hold back is because he wants your heart. He wants to save you from these things that mute the beauty of his affection for us. That brings us alive and we're not afraid anymore. We're not obsessed with other people's opinions. But instead we know my maker is in love with me and forgives me where I fail. He's just He's fair and He's kind and, oh, okay, I'll say yes again. Some of you, He's going to, over time, invite you into a small group of people who are saying this yes to Jesus. You can't do this alone and it's super, super fun and annoying to do it with other people. If it's not annoying yet, you don't have the right people in your group. I'm serious. You're a click. If it's not annoying, you're a click. We're here to become like Jesus. We need people are the way God does it. So could we just maybe just in a moment, just we'll just take just a moment here. And if you want to say yes to Jesus, just do something. Maybe you want to raise your hands in the air. It's kind of like you're reaching up for your father in a childlike surrender. Maybe you want to kneel. I don't know. And, and if you've never decided to follow Jesus, or you're just coming back to this thing, please do this now. I'm telling you, at least from my perspective, it's the best decision I've ever made. So, Lord Jesus, look on your people, your disciples. Will you give, will you give your disciples, will you give your people just, just an awareness by the Holy Spirit of the level of delight and even astonishment that we would will to say yes to you and that the very thing, this is what you paid for all along. This is what you're so interested in, is to having us, having our yes, even if we're super scared, but what it might mean that we would trust you even though we don't understand everything. I feel the delight of the Lord. Amen. Amen. Well, John Free and I and maybe some elders will be up here. If anybody wants to pray more at the end of this, want to ask questions or talk. How about this? Tomorrow morning, here's your assignment. Tomorrow morning when you wake up, first thing, 
Just ask Jesus, what do you want me to say yes to? Yeah. And you'll start your week off right. Sound good? All right. Love you guys. Have a great week.